quietly and just paid off some of your home loan. See, in our culture, nothing is for free. And even when somebody gives you a lovely gift, who doesn't feel obligated to give them something back? So a friend of mine used to grow tomatoes and they had a great harvest of tomatoes one year and so they began to give the boxes of tomatoes out to their friends and their friends would say, look, we will take it only if you don't want it. Am I connecting with anyone here this morning or what? Aren't we like that? Isn't it when somebody just naturally gives us a free gift, we're suspicious? Now, ever since the Garden of Eden, we have been suspicious of God. The very thing that Satan said to Eve was, did God really say? You know, that suspicion of the serpent into humanity has left us suspicious of God himself. So really, when you actually think of Christmas, think about it as this, God comes to win back your trust in him. Because in the Garden of Eden, what did we actually lose? We lost our trust in God. And so, when he comes with the free gift of Jesus Christ, and I know this very well because you get to preach it Sunday after Sunday and you tell people it's a pure free gift and there's no conditions and terms, people fall over. It's a stumbling block to them. How can, how can it be that it's free, unconditional love? And how can it be that I don't do anything, anything at all to either earn the gift or to be accepted. How can it be? That's really simple, isn't it? That's actually been for centuries a problem with the church. The stumbling block is the terms and conditions on which God gives us his son. Let us say this text together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Now, throughout the world at the moment, the world is in turmoil. In fact, most people that I speak to are actually looking for something quite extraordinary in the world. If you actually uh, speak to people, they're looking for something that usually is going to satisfy them. At the moment, romantic love is one of the biggest things that is portrayed in Hollywood. And in portraying romantic love, when you finally get that partner, when you finally get that wife, what, what are we saying? We're saying in that, in that wife or that husband, we've actually reached the, the highest possible thing you can reach for. Or maybe 
Uh, Say, for example, it's money. If we only get a certain amount of money, we'll actually finally be a very happy and satisfied people. See, our hearts were created for something incredible. Aren't we always looking for that? Aren't we always just looking for something that is wonderful and deep and satisfying? I've been to the Barossa, I know. I've been tasting wine at the Barossa and what drew me on to the next Rhineway was the, the idea of the taste of that next special wine. See, we have taste buds, we have a heart, we have emotions, we have feeling. And wives never say to their husbands, you haven't satisfied me or fulfilled me, do they? And husbands never say to their wives, I'm walking out on you because it hasn't worked out. No, we have actually got a world of broken marriages because where are we looking ultimately for love? We're looking for it sometimes in a partner, sometimes here, sometimes there. But you were created for the deepest, highest, most satisfying relationship that a human being can have. And what's that? That's the Father's love, God's love. So, if you cut yourself off from the Father's love, which we all did, everything else that you try on earth, in the end won't satisfy you. Because you're cutting yourself off from what? The highest, deepest, most rewarding, satisfying relationship which is God's love. And for myself, I was 24 years old when the love of God came to me. I wasn't much of a person really. I had a fairly strong drug addiction and was really not a nice person at all to be around. But when the love of God came to me, I was confused. Maybe some of you have heard me tell this story, but I got on the phone and I began to ring some people that I used to go to church with and I said to them, God's just come to me in his love and I don't know why. I've been a really, really wretched creature and a sinner and I really have not wanted to know him at all. I said, why has he come to me? Why does he love me? One person said, well, you were a pretty good boy when you were about five or six. And I thought, ah, that doesn't help me at all. What about the years that I wasn't? Why does God love you? Why does he so love you? You can't give a reason, can you? Because his nature and his character is love. 
He is love. And if you have a look on the screen there, you will see that God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Brothers and sisters, there was a young man who, or a young boy who, his dad bought him some goldfish. I'm telling the story second-handed, so I don't know where the the book is. And he got the bowl of goldfish and sat it on the table and put his hand in in the bowl and tried to play with the goldfish and they all kind of swam away. For some reason he thought the goldfish would just play with him. So he went off to his dad and he said to his dad, Dad, how can I get the goldfish to trust me? Dad said to him, well, look son, in order for the goldfish to trust you, you actually have to become one of them. That means you've got to go through their birth process. Be born as a goldfish. Eat like a goldfish. Grow up like a goldfish. And what they'll do is they'll see you and they'll see what you're like and then they will actually trust you because you're going to be one of them. And then the father went on to say, and what if you could never go back again? What if you could never go back from being a goldfish ever again? What was the father illustrating to his son? We haven't had wine already, have we? What was the father illustrating to his son? The birth of Jesus. The way in which God the Son becomes a man, becomes one of us to actually show us what he is really like so that we will actually trust him. And so what kind of a God do we have who would send His only Son to become an embryo in the womb of a woman called Mary? What kind of a God do we have who would dwell inside of a woman? What kind of a God do we have who goes through the natural human birth process, becomes a baby, is held in the arms and nurtured in the arms of the very creation He made? What kind of a God do we have who relates to us as a human being? And finally, dies in our place for our sins. Overcomes death for us. Rises again for our acceptance with the Father. What kind of a God do we have? One who is not ashamed of the creation He has made but one who loves the creation he has made very deeply. And I said it last night, if you go through the other religions such as Islam or uh, Buddhism or any other religion, you'll find that God is ashamed of the creation. He doesn't want anything to do with the creation. He's, He's so far removed from it because he's ashamed of our sin. Our God's not like that. 
He's actually not ashamed of the creation He's made, even though we've actually rebelled. But He joins Himself to the human race. One of the things in our text is we see the heart of God that He doesn't want the world to perish, but He gives eternal life to those who believe in Him. Such is the nature of God the Father that He actually wants to relate with you. I wish I could just say your names right now. He wants to relate with you not only now, but all through eternity. He wants your company. He so loved the world that whoever believes in Him has eternal life because God the Father wants to relate with you and love you and lavish His love upon you not only now, but all through eternity. It's a bit strange, isn't it, to say God loves your company? Because we probably find each other's company a bit irritable after a while. We kind of think, well, does God really, really love my company? What happens in Holy Communion, brothers and sisters? Does Jesus come to us in Holy Communion and say, in the bread and the wine, I don't like your company. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. So the very nature and character of the God that we didn't trust in and we have been suspicious of all of our lives, actually doesn't send His Son into the world to condemn us, but in order that through Him we would be saved. Jesus is actually the one who stands in our place on the cross and is actually condemned as a criminal for our sins. There is the nature and character of your God and your Father. If He didn't want to condemn you back then, does He actually want to condemn you now? Do you know that you could be a trillionaire or a millionaire or a zillionaire, however you want to put it? If you have one trace of guilt on your conscience, You're a miserable man. One trace of guilt on your conscience. You're a miserable man. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and shut the door to... Anyone finish it? Misery. Is that right? Have I got it right? Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, and shut the door to misery. And he has. By not condemning you for your sins, he shuts the door to misery. What kind of a God do we have? Whose son would stand in the place 
and go through the wrath of God. And the horror of our sin. And we be so numb to it. You're only allowed to yell and scream in state of origin, I forgot. But sometimes we need to be awakened, don't we? Just a little bit. He shut the door to misery. Can you hear that? Nothing can separate you. Nothing can separate you from God's love in Jesus Christ. No death can separate you. Satan can't separate you. Nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor things to come can separate you from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the deepest, highest, relationship that you can know on earth and and how do you receive it? Come on, tell me, how do you receive it? You come to church on Sunday morning, don't you? You be good, don't you? How do you receive such an unconditional gift like that? This is where the stumbling block is. You receive it by faith, by believing. But see, what kind of believing? And this is what separates the true church from the counterfeit church. It's what kind of believing? And the answer is this. The true church says it's by faith alone. The true church says we believe And it's apart from our performance. The true church says God gives, it's unconditional, it's a promise, it doesn't depend on you and you receive it as a gift apart from anything you do. The false church says, ah, nah, it's faith and something that I do. Just a little bit of me. The true church says... There's no terms and conditions. It's by faith and by faith alone. So one of the leading Lutheran scholars who's passed away to be with the Lord, Gerhard Forty, talking about the Reformation and the struggle with the churches over the years, says the issue has always been this, faith alone. One is accepted unconditionally and by God in Christ by faith alone. It's the faith alone part that causes people to stumble and fall. He then talks about one of the confessions in the Osberg Confessions. And the question is, what shall I do to be saved? The answer is shocking. Nothing. Just be still. Shut up and listen for once in your life to what God the Almighty, Creator and Redeemer is saying to this world. 
to you in the death and resurrection of his son. Listen and believe. So, if you want to actually know what it is to truly give, and I mean truly give of your heart, then you have to truly receive. And the way that you truly receive is to actually say to the gift of God in Jesus Christ, I receive that on no other terms and conditions but the one that you give me. And the terms and the conditions that you give me is this. It's free. I don't deserve it. It comes with incredible promises. And I believe it. At that point, our giving and our receiving to one another is very pure. You actually don't have to be suspicious of God or of somebody when they give you a lovely gift like I got last night. You can actually just receive the gift and say, thank you. So, brothers and sisters, Christ is either your saviour this morning or he's your stumbling block. What is he? Is he your saviour? Is he the gift of God to you? Or is he actually the stumbling block? You think about that this Christmas as you go home knowing this. Whoever believes in Jesus Christ is not condemned. Whoever believes in Jesus Christ is fully approved of the Father, fully pleasing to the Father. In Jesus' name, Amen.